Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Heartbroken Podcast. I'm Fallon. And today I have Jen, our amazing therapist, joining us from United Counseling and Wellness. How are you, Jen? I'm doing all right. How are you, Fallon? Good. We kind of, um, you know, we can chat a little bit. I think in the intro we were like, ah, let's, you know, give everyone an escape from what's going on and kind of avoid talking about the elephant in the room that everyone's dealing with. So uh, yeah, avoidance and denial uh, can be pretty useful coping strategies. Right? <laughs> I mean, like they, they have some after effects sometimes if they're overused, but they work. Yes, exactly. We had um, actually had Jen on the show, the morning show I do um, in the Twin Cities, if you aren't from here. Um, I do a morning show on a radio station and we had Jen on uh, this week for the first time kind of talking about ways to deal with anxiety with it. Uh, so that's something you could check out if you want to check out the show podcast and hear Jen talk more about that. But today um, we're doing a special um, episode. We still have so many great topics to cover and this is definitely a unique one. This one is learning to trust the universe and um, basically living after trauma and loss because so many people in relationships that even I've had on the podcast have gone through trauma. I mean, true trauma in in various forms. And then also lots of episodes on the podcast dealing with loss and a in a way of like losing a partner, but also in a way of like we've had episodes where their partners passed away or their parents have passed away, you know, these bigger um, levels of loss. So we put together um, some of your questions from Instagram. Uh, well, Jen put them together in this lovely category for us. <laughs> and we're just going to kind of chat about those today. Um, the first question we have is how do I stop being so angry at my ex for mental abusing my child and me. That's that's a heavy one, Jen. I'm Fallon, and this is the Heartbroken Podcast. Everyone has experienced heartbreak in their life, some more than others. Often, we feel like we're bothering our family or friends when we talk about it. I started this podcast to help those going through heartbreak share their stories. Sometimes it's easier to share with someone they don't know. I hope it's somewhat therapeutic for them. Maybe it gives them some closure. And to those listening, I hope it helps you feel less alone. Thank you for listening to the Heartbroken Podcast. Yeah, it's, it's um, man, like mental abuse is, um, it's, a, it's a really, that's a really loaded statement. And it sounds, I mean, my, my heart just breaks for the person who wrote that question, right? Because it sounds like there was so much pain in that, in that relationship. Um, and the fact that a, that a child was involved in the mental abuse, um, that's, that's just a, a lot to handle. You have these, these mm-hmm. multiple layers of pain, right? Um, uh, pain in the relationship, um, and then pain in seeing a, a person create 
create hurt for a child, right? And then pain and seeing your child hurt. Um, it's, there's just so many layers of, of grief and, um, and how do I stop being so angry is, is a really interesting question. And actually found like this, this sort of came up, um, on the morning show the other day. Um, uh, you guys asked if I had any like quick pieces of advice, right. Um, and, um, and one of the things that I find myself saying all the time over and over that seems to be kind of an aha moment for a lot of people is the idea that anger is a secondary emotion, right? And anger is almost always um, coming from sadness and or fear, right? And so the the idea of how do I stop being so angry at my ex for mentally abusing um, my child and me, um, it's, it's a big question, but I think that part of it is loosening grip on the anger a little bit. So what that means is connecting to the pain that's below that and um, uh, all of the sadness for the past and the fear about the future, you know, what are the after effects yeah. of abuse that we haven't yet seen, right? What if I get into another relationship that mirrors this this past pattern, right? What if my child ends up in a, in a relationship that follows this same sort of track, right? Um, so there's so many things to feel sad about and so many things to feel scared about from that um, experience of mental abuse, right? right? And in my mind, the way to, the easiest way to stop being angry is to look for what's beneath and work through that. Um, and the reason I think that so many of us just quickly experience anger instead of connecting to that sadness or fear is that when we feel vulnerable and unsafe, and then we show that we are scared or sad, um, we make ourselves additionally vulnerable, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like showing our weakness or showing that we're fragile. Um, and so instead, we sort of like put our fists up and appear strong or, or point our energy outside. Um, and that helps us feel this sense of safety and security, right? So even just feeling anger helps us feel empowered and strong and therefore safe. Yeah, I get that. I'm like, I, I, I like think about, um, if I was her and if I was sad, you know, in the beginning, it's like, did you get to a point where you were like, I am sick of crying over this person, even though you weren't really crying over that person, you're crying over what happened. And you get to a point where like, I don't want to cry over this anymore. And it's almost like you harden a little bit. And that's where the anger comes in. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's such a, it's such a great thing because it's such a great point that you bring up because there are times where, um, like if I'm working with um, uh, with a client in therapy, I I might ask them to actually connect a little bit more to anger, right? To maybe mm. turn some of that sadness to anger in order to feel strong and empowered, right? But to not lose connection from that sadness, right? And then, then there are other times where um, where we're we're actually going in the opposite direction, which is they're they're experiencing so much anger, and we need to connect to the more vulnerable vulnerable emotions um, 
and and that's where the better work can be done. And so that's when I was saying like hold the anger a little bit more loosely. Um, that doesn't mean drop it. That doesn't mean let go of the anger. Um, but hold it with a loose grip so that there's also room to feel the other feelings that need to be processed as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. So if they're like, okay, so I need to like calm down the anger a little bit allow this sadness to trickle in or allow the fear, realize that's where it's coming from. How do they slowly remove that? Just, I don't know if entirely is the right word. How do they get rid of all of those feelings about this situation? So I think that the the next step in this process, right? So this question was, how do I stop being so angry yeah. for mentally abusing my child and me? The next step and this is not a thing that I would like jump straight to, but um, the, the the final process in really letting go is going to be a process of forgiveness and understanding. Now, and I and I I'm going to put so many like asterisks on that because forgiveness does not mean like that you then go back to this person right. that was mentally abusive. It does not mean that you forgive the action or that you embrace the the awful things that were done right um Mm -hmm. but but the forgiveness process is a process for the benefit of the survivors and not a not for the benefit of the the person who inflicted the abuse right Mm -hmm. and so i'm really careful about bringing up the word forgiveness because oftentimes when there's so much pain even just hearing me say forgiveness is almost like re-traumatizing right like yeah like that means like acceptance or like, oh, I'm supposed to just like think that it's okay that he did that. No, it's not okay at all. Not okay at all. But letting go and truly healing is going to be coming from a place of release and understanding. And so, so if I imagine what probably led up to a question like this, um, there was a I assume there was a long pattern of pain and heartbreak. Um, and I think, Fallon, I've probably mentioned this to you before, but I truly tend to believe that that all people are good inherently. Mm-hmm. People can do some awful, horrific things, right? Mm-hmm. But it is, it is, it's pain turns good people into really, really, really hurtful individuals, right? And so, um, but when you when you look to try and understand, okay, how did he get to be such a monster, right? Like, how did he do these awful things? Um, there's probably a lot of explanation there. And again, does not excuse the behavior mm-hmm. at all. When you understand like, okay, so maybe, maybe this person was severely mentally abused as a child as well. Right. Again, doesn't excuse the pattern, um, but it explains it and it helps us understand and therefore helps the world feel like a slightly safer place because you're not envisioning these like just horrific monsters walking around the earth. They're, they're good people that have experienced pain and that have done bad things. And that can sort of restore this sense of safety. And so, yeah, it, 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 this, this understanding and empathy that we can have for the good person, um, that is deep, deep, deep down on the inside makes the world a less scary place. Yeah. I was going to say, there are a couple of things I was going to jump in with in that. uh, One thing is, that 
I I know people aren't going to hear this and think, oh, okay. But I, a lot of the time, you'll know that this person went through probably they maybe they even opened up and you know they had a bad childhood or something and so you feel like you're maybe the person who submitted this is a caretaker by nature and they knew there was a good person in there and they understood why they were doing this and that's maybe why they tolerated it for so long but you can acknowledge those things without allowing yourself to be in that situation um yep and, and realizing that that is something they need to fix <laughs> on their own. And then, exactly. And also going back to like when you said just because you forgive them, that doesn't mean you're like, oh, you're forgiven. Like for everything you did, we can be good again. Think about – I always think about um, when I watch a movie or something, and this happens in real life too, when someone kills someone and then they're – the parent of the person that was killed forgives the person in like court or something. And you are going, Oh my gosh, I could never, they killed their, his child and he's forgiving that person. Like how? And usually the person will say it's not for them. What they did isn't good. It's because I don't want them to like have control over my like feelings for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Because holding on to anger is like truly, I feel this word is overused, but, but truly that is toxic. Yeah. That does seep into everything else. And it, it creates this, like this dullness on so many other positive feelings and experiences. And it it just serves as this dark cloud. Um, and for, for some of the biggest instances of forgiveness, right? Like, like the, the example that you gave of like parents are capable of forgiving the, like, the murderers of their children like that, that's like the, the, the biggest thing that you could possibly fathom um and they do it like you said for themselves so that they don't have to hold on to that amount of pain and toxic anger um for those really really big instances of massive forgiveness just for survival um I, I sometimes think about replacing anger with pity. And so like in this case, right, how do I stop being so angry at my ex for mentally abusing my child and me? Um, maybe some of that anger needs to turn to pity and thinking, man, his, and I'm just going to say his, just as, as an example, or like, like his life is going to be so awful if he keeps up these same patterns and continues to treat people the, the way that he treated us. Right? Yeah. Um, his his existence will be so lonely and miserable. Um, and, and I feel bad for that. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, even and, if you see them move on to someone else and they look happy for a minute, remember you probably looked happy in photos and stuff in the beginning too. That, mm-hmm. I'm right. that person didn't just jump into a new relationship and all of a sudden magically they're better. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so if you, if you convert some of that anger into pity, it's, it's, it's a softer emotion to hold on to, right? And sometimes that that pity is more of a empathic kind of like, wow, I'm just grateful that um, I don't treat people like that because I know that I'll have a lot more love in my life because of the way that I treat people. Um, and uh, and sometimes that that pity is more of like a disgust driven pity um, and like, oh gross. I, I am, I am really glad that I am out of that situation and that I don't have to live in a life like that. Um, and so I think that like that replacement of anger with pity can look a lot of different ways, depending on um, the person holding the emotion, depending on the person who, um, sort of like perpetrated the traumatic experience. Um, uh, but, but I think that having some sort of 
some sort of pity replaced the anger can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, okay, let's jump into our next question. How to separate my grief from interfering with my relationships? Yeah, that's a really, really hard one. Um, and it's... And we don't know, we don't know what the grief is either, right, in this situation? Exactly. Yeah. This, this falls into that category of um, if somebody asked me that question, I would have so many follow-up questions <laughs> if I had them on the line, right? Um, but if we were to speculate that that, that that grief is like very very active and raw and um and that that level of pain whether it's due to a a loss of life or a loss of a relationship um or or a loss of something else i mean we can have grief over so many different things um and i think actually having a wide definition of grief that covers more than just death um is really really helpful in life um uh because because loss and violation are really just really painful emotions right yeah um so so whatever type of grief um that uh um that person is experience uh, experiencing it sounds like it's getting to a point where it feels like it's impacting relationships yeah right? and and i think that the best way to separate it or keep it from interfering is um is to to make sure that the grief is actively being processed right like so many times when we're experiencing grief um we feel like we need to just keep going and stay strong just to survive so we sort of swallow up our feelings and we don't we don't process them we don't let them um we don't let them out we don't ask for help we don't accept support um and and really that just extends the process it lasts for so much longer Mm -hmm. um and 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 not that grief i mean especially like big grief not that it's ever really done um but there's a certain amount of work that needs to be done to process it um and otherwise it really will bleed into everything else right um so i think that the first the first answer i would have how to separate my grief from interfering with my relationships is make sure that you are actually processing the grief. Okay. Right? And, and that can look like so many different things that can be verbal processing with, um, uh, with support people in your life, right. That can be more like internal processing in your own brain or with a journal. Um, uh, that also can be, um, channeling emotion into, um, uh, into artistic or creative endeavors that help um, uh, that help to process in that way. Like it can it can be so, so many. many yeah, that would be the very first thing that I would say is make sure it's the grief is being processed there i think and sometimes i don't know how the person who wrote this in i think a lot of the time um i've even been been guilty of this going through like this is just like a relationship example there are so many others but going through a bad breakup with someone and not wanting to feel pain about it so i like you immediately dive into a new relationship because the new part of the relationship is so fun and but usually that pain that you didn't allow like yourself to grieve over like that relationship because it was a part Part of your life and you know it usually comes back and hits you at some point <laughs> absolutely hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. And then then that's it's it's so tricky, right? Because like you said, it's, it's so much easier to skip over the pain and then just jump into the next thing that feels good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if that's um, if that's a new relationship, um, what is ultimately happening is uh, you're you're using the the novelty and the um, sort of like the honeymoon phase of a new relationship as a way to just distract from the pain right um and so you sort of set it down next to you but then at some point it's going to bite you on the ankle and 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 (laughs) yep come right back right yep um and and then what happens is maybe the next person that you found is a amazing person for you like maybe it's an excellent fit and then you have to deal with significant grief of a previous relationship while navigating a relationship with a person that you love right yeah that can be really complicated and so so I think like taking the time to really experience a breakup before heading into the next new relationship it just protects the next new relationship and gives it that gives that next one a much better um chance of longevity or right and i'm obviously totally um speculating on what the grief is it could be honestly about the loss of a family member or something and then you're so sad that that affects uh the relationship too which is kind of the the question that we cover next which is i'm sure to jen too it's heartbreaking how to support my niece and nephew who just lost their dad Yeah, I mean, even just no matter the age of that niece and nephew, I mean, the the loss of a parent is just earth shattering um, at, at any, any age. Point in life, yeah, right? mm-hmm. and and I feel like the how to support, like, oh, yeah, that's that's the million dollar question, right? Because like we can do so much to try and help, but I mean, unless somebody has the ability to bring that person's dad back, it's. It's, it's still not going to be enough, right? And so we have to first be okay with the fact that we cannot fix it, right? Like it, it truly cannot be fixed. Um, but we can ease and we can help comfort and soothe um, uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, but I would say, yeah, the first the first part is just like make sure that um, uh, that you've wrapped your head around the fact that like that you cannot take the pain away. Right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. um, but you can help, right. And, and support can look like so many different things. Um, I, I think a lot about efforts to help a person hold on to 
a relationship with their lost loved one and and keep that relationship alive through memory and legacy can be a, a really, really wonderful thing to, to work towards. So, I mean, when you think about, like, I think about writing a letter to, to your deceased family member, right, or, or sitting at, um, at a gravesite and, and speaking to them and telling them um, um, about what's going on or about how much you miss them or whatever. I mean, those, um, those types of efforts sometimes feel strange at first to some people, um, but, but they're such beautiful, helpful parts of the grief process to be able to realize that like that loved one is, is stored in your heart and in your brain and, and you carry with them every single day, their memory and this legacy. And, um, and that is a piece of them that cannot be taken away from you, right? Yeah. Lives inside of you and you can have a relationship with that. And so, so I I imagine, and it it would look so different depending on, I mean, the niece and nephew could be in their twenties or thirties, or they could be three and five years old. Um, uh, and my, my suggestions about like, what could you legitimately do to help would look really different, um, um, based on, based on the age, based on the family, based on the situation and what that, um, what that trauma and loss looked like. Um, but I think that creating ways to, um, uh, to protect that memory and that legacy and keep connection ongoing past, um, past death is um it it can be a really helpful thing to do um but what i would also say is sort of back to the point about knowing that and and really remembering that that pain cannot be just erased um the, the other the other um the other piece of advice that i would give is following their lead right so if the um um in this case, the niece and nephew aren't ready to talk. We don't force them to talk, right? We just sit and um, and just um, offer quiet support, right? Um, mm-hmm. If if they need to be angry, make room for that anger. Let them be angry. Don't try and talk them out of that anger because they need to feel what they need to feel, right? Um, and so I think that like taking the lead of the person who's grieving. Um, is is a is a really 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 central part of supporting somebody through a grief process. Yeah, you know, we I had um a few episodes ago um I had a woman named Katie on who lost her husband in a paddleboarding accident and one of the things she said that her kids just love is when she'll point out the things that they do that are just like their dad. Um, yeah. So when she'll be like, like one of the kids will be watching a certain type of show that she would never watch. And she'll be like, you are just like your dad. Like that is the kind of show he would have always watched and blah, blah, blah. Because And she said that their faces always light up because they love their dad, obviously. They want to be like their dad. And so she would make sure to incorporate things like that, let them know. And like you said, I think um, a lot of people on the outside, they are so uncomfortable to bring up the person who passed away because oh, they don't want to, they don't want to hurt the family anymore. It's like, right. but the, but people I've spoken to on the, on the, you know, podcast, it's like, um, yeah, I, I know they're gone. You not talking right. about them Absolutely. doesn't make it them not gone and not. Uh, so it's like, I think just like you want to talk about your ex-boyfriend or your ex-girlfriend, they, right. 
I when you're like you said, you can tell if they don't. Obviously, if they're like, I don't want to right now, but I think most of the time they at least get to a point where they want to. My husband Jake, his father passed away when he was 19 years old, and his siblings were quite a bit younger than him, and. Jake always says that they, his mom and his siblings went to therapy and Jake did not. And he had a, had a really rough time. He like did, made some really poor decisions, um, that really, that really affected his life. And then he eventually went to therapy and that's when he says he got his life back on track, um, because losing his dad, I mean, he, he loved his dad so much. He was so close to his dad. It very much affected him. So... Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, when you when you gave the example about um, how this grieving mom talks to her kids about their dad, um, it it reminds me that um, it is I think a lot of times when um, uh, when a child has lost their parent, we try so hard and like our instinct is to protect the deceased and only say like the very best things about them. Um, which is of course, it's not like we want to be like trash talking the deceased or anything like that. Right. Um, but, but oftentimes, um, especially if, um, well, really regardless of the age that the children are when they've lost their, their parent, they realize that their parent was a, complicated person um, with lovely traits and also some like tricky stuff too, right? Like every human being on earth has some things that they say or things that they do that are frustrating or troublesome or, or in some way difficult to deal with for the people around them, right? And what happens is if we only, only um, talk about purely happy memories or we only talk about the like hero traits of the individual who passed away we flatten that person um to where they're they're not three-dimensional like like a like a human being is right Mm -hmm. and um by flattening the deceased into even just this like really nice positive view of them that doesn't show all their complications and complexities um we we like rob kids of their ability to connect to their real parent that Mm -hmm. they had um and so so i and and the other thing that that can happen quite a bit is um uh when when we only talk about just the best parts of the deceased um it can also create this really really strange legacy to try and live up to like if oh yeah if a child has been told oh you're like your dad was the best and he was always so patient and so kind and so understanding and all these things right and then that kid grows up to get pissed sometimes right like they're they're not always patient they're not always kind um because they're real yep they're going to think like oh I'm not as good as my dad, you know, like when, when the truth would be that actually, of course, their dad was not always patient, was right. not always kind. Right. Um, and then it creates this, um, this almost like flattened sort of superhero, um, uh, thing that is both intimidating to the grieving child and, um, robs them of like a real connection to a real complex memory of a complex human being does that yes and this is gonna make uh, maybe make you laugh but um to make things a little bit more lighthearted, this is like the exact example of the tv show this is us because they their dad passed away when they were younger but he's in 
he's like painted as the most perfect human ever, but then occasionally they'll show flaws. Like he had a drinking problem. He had this issue, but like they idolize him and have him on such a pedestal. I mean, it's hard for their mom too, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think that we think that we're honoring the deceased by, by um, celebrating and remembering all of the good. But I really do think that we honor, yeah, we honor the deceased by remembering everything, the good and the bad, because really like good's not good unless it has something to be compared to, right? Like yeah. the, the, um, the bad, the tricky, all the hard stuff um, makes the, the good that much more understandable and um, gives us the ability to appreciate it. I love that. Like that, I hadn't, I had not thought of that before. I was, that is a very good point. Um, okay, let's wrap things up with our final question. How do you date again after having the person you thought was your soulmate pass away? Mm, and I just, but I feel like each one of these questions today just like heart hurts when um, oh yeah uh, when I hear that question when I read that question um, the the idea of having to start over um, and even the like the way that this the person that you thought was your soulmate um, regardless of how you think about soulmates or the one or um, uh, whatever it is, grief is grief. And, um, and kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, that loss has to be experienced before dating again. Um, otherwise it, it will just, it, it will become um, sort of this ticking time bomb that's going to blow up at any point where um, all of that pain will just come pouring out and could potentially um cause some really serious harm to a new relationship that might be promising. Right. Um, and so, so I think that maybe first removing the soulmate concept from the grief, not to try and make the grief smaller, but to, to let the grief be legitimate and it is on its own right, whether or not that was a soulmate or not, or whether you believe in soulmates or not, grief is grief. And it sounds like this person had such a massive loss, um, that needs to be acknowledged. Um, and, and actually Fallon, I think that our next, the next conversation that you and I are going to have is about the idea of the one or about soulmates. Cause so many of the questions, um, that people sent into you, um, uh, when you and I first started these, mm-hmm. um, you know, ask the therapist episodes, um, are, had language about soulmates and the one. Um, and what I think happens when we, try and use that label of, um, is this a person a soulmate or not? Or, or in this, in this case, um, uh, in this heartbreaking example of grief, um, it sounds like even, even the, the past is being questioned with this soulmate thing. Like, like the person who thought was your soulmate passed away, right? Well, um, you're allowed to have massive grief if that person was a soulmate and soulmates actually did exist. But even if we verify that soulmates don't exist or you decided that, that this is not your soulmate or whatever, you're still allowed to have the same size grief, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times when when the concept of the one or the soulmate is used, it makes our emotions conditional, right? And like we, we feel like they're, oh, they're only valid if – um, if this title of soulmate fits or this title of the one fits. Does, um, so, so I think that y- you date again 
ideally after you've grieved the loss um, in in a pretty significant way, um, and then and then maybe don't worry so much about whether or not that that person that you lost was soulmate or not, or whether the person you'll meet next will be soulmate or not, and just think about. Um, love is love and it, it's heartbreaking when love is lost um, but love will continue to exist and there'll be new love to be found when you're ready to experience it yeah that's such a good point because I'm putting the title soulmate on something adds so much pressure and it's oh like if you if you believe in that and then you you've lost that person then you think like she's basically saying she, you're never gonna find it again that was it that was my one shot now it's gone but it, yeah you're right if you look at it like no, I can love again. And I loved so much. That person was so perfect for me. We loved each other so much. Um, look at it like that. Like you can find new love again. Exactly. Right. And if you, if you connect so hard to this idea of soulmate, you either have to say, okay, that was the person. And so my loss is legitimate, but then I can have no real hope for the future because I'm never going to find a, a person that's going to make me feel big love again in, in, in the future, right? Or you have to flip it around and say, okay, well, then maybe I want to have hope for the future that the soulmate is still out there. So then I have to discount the way that I feel about this big grief. And it, it forces you to either lose hope or lose the right to grieve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I don't want to give like too much of a spoiler, but when you and I talk more about soulmates or the one, um, I, I have some opinions, right? <laughs> I, like, I, um, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to like try and trample on the opinions or the feelings of anybody else who might disagree. But um, I think that the concept of the one and the concept of soulmate um, can do can do more harm than than good. Um, and I like flexibility in thinking and not labeling things too much so. well if that's the case then we're going to talk about that on our next episode which will be we're doing the la- we do the last friday of every month so that'll be may 29th you can like put a save the date in the calendar if you're like that's what i want to know about um because we're going to cover that uh jen of course as always i want to thank you so much for doing this with me because you have answers and um they are professional answers <laughs> unlike what i would give um jen like i said works for united counseling and wellness and you can find her at ucwtherapy.com which is also where you have your blog um and jen always posts a um, follow-up blog with more information on what we discussed and you can follow her also on instagram at good human work um, and you always have some follow-up posts on there and you have your link tree on there so if you want to go to instagram first and then link through to her blog to read more or just to you know see what she has posted you definitely can do that as well absolutely thank you so much for having me on fallon and i'm so glad that you're um giving people a place to ask these really hard questions. And I know that my answers may not always be spot on to what they were thinking, um, but uh, um, but it really opens it up for, for us to have a, a conversation on some really hard stuff. So thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Heartbroken Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.